1: bears fans this is take the north
2: with your hosts david Haw.
1: there has been a lot
3: in what promises to be a busy off season whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and justin fields being traded or the execution of the closing
1: on the land In Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast
3: on your Odyssey i I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears And obviously, Dan, we are talking draft. We're going to get into some of the, you know, rumors and innuendo and conversation. You had a great interview with Daniel Jeremiah on ChicagoTribune.com. But let's start with the biggest news this week in the National Football League. It has some kind of Bears connection because of the way that Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields have been compared. But Jalen Hurts, five years, $255 million, $179 million guaranteed the Eagles have their forever quarterback.
1: Yeah, they do. And Jalen Hurts is suddenly the highest paid player in NFL history, short of the three-year anniversary of his draft night. And so the reason it's relevant to me, David, is it tells you how fast the clock ticks in the NFL and how uh, this type of decision is coming for the Bears in one way or another after the 2023 season. No one would have imagined when Jalen Hurts became a you know middle second-round pick three years ago that we'd be talking about him as the highest-paid player in league history in three years and yet here we are and and so I I think what's instructive about this is just understanding that the way that the NFL has evolved the way the quarterback business has evolved the end of year three is usually decision time for a lot of teams and and, and having run the numbers the last decade or so and seeing where all these first round quarterbacks now again Jalen Hurts was a second round quarterback were after year three and how how organizations pretty much knew one way or another which direction they were going to go it tells you that uh everything we've talked about about 2023 being pivotal and pressure packed for Justin Fields and Ryan Poles and the decision that's coming for the Bears it's all uh it's all right in front of us
3: before we get to some of those because those are things obviously we're looking through everything through a, a Bears prism yeah I love Jalen Hurts story because I think that I said this this morning on the radio but to me, right now, there are hundreds of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. There are hundreds of others who have yet to be, you know, beaten out, but could be, that are looking at his example. Yeah. And now, not thinking oh, I'm going to go be the richest uh, quarterback in NFL history, but the power of perseverance, the way that you can change the arc of your career if you Stick with it. Now, he got benched at Alabama. He was a backup at Alabama. He resurfaced at Oklahoma and and made himself into an NFL prospect. Passed over in the first round. Drafted in the second round. Didn't start right away. So all these things, I mean, it's a coach's dream. It bears repeating. I know we exhausted it during the Super Bowl week, but this guy, this player, epitomizes everything you say when you say, "Don't, don't get your head down. You, you, this won't last forever. You're only a backup now. Make the most of it. And you know what? He did, and now look at him.
1: Benched in a national championship game, no less, right, in, in, in the game that uh, made Tua Tegavaleoa the, uh, the the legend for Alabama in that championship game. I looked it up, David. Uh, Jalen Hurts was picked 53rd overall on day two of the 2020 draft, one pick after the Rams took Cam Akers, and one pick ahead of the Bills taking A.J. Epinesa. So that tells you the range he was in going into that draft three years ago, and now here he is. He's climbed the mountain. Uh, he has now reached the, the 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 mountain top of the money mountain for quarterbacks temporarily, because we know there's a kid yeah. in Cincinnati who's going to reset that bar really quickly. Uh, Jalen Hurts may be the highest paid player in, in NFL history for six or seven weeks before the Bengals go uh, break into their uh, into their vault and, and and do the same for for Joe Burrow. But you bring up some really compelling points about just the the human side of this story, and the perseverance, and the attitude, and and the one thing you've heard about Jalen Hurts throughout the entirety of his football life is how well liked he is, how resilient he is, how quickly he can kind of reset and turn the page. There's rewards for that, obviously. In this case, it's the biggest possible reward for an NFL quarterback.
3: And you know, I think Lamar Jackson could learn from Jalen Hurts' example. He has representation. Nicole Lynn is his agent, historic uh, day for her as well, just because of the nature of the negotiation, the size of the contract. But you've got Lamar Jackson out there. You've got Joe Burrow out there. you got Justin Herbert out there. All yeah. three of those contracts may end up being larger than this one, but it doesn't really matter. Jalen Hurts doesn't really care about those things. He has the security that he has sought and that he has earned. Now, as for the Bears parallels, I, I think that it's obvious because – Let's face it, we have to carry this through. We spent all season long hoping and maybe talking optimistically about this idea that Jalen Hurts can be what or you know, Justin Fields can be what Jalen Hurts is. There's a problem though with the difference in franchises. There's yeah. a problem though, because Jalen Hurts got his team to a Super Bowl and was an MVP contender. So I understand why we are what we, we have to go through this mental exercise, but I don't know. If the comparisons are as apt as 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 you might want them to be, because of just the realities of how different the franchises and situations are.
1: Oh, there's no question about that. And I want to be very clear with what I'm saying that I'm not making a direct Justin Fields Jalen Hurts comparison and saying that you know a year from now Justin Fields is potentially positioned to be the highest paid player in NFL history. I think the, the 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 compelling point for me is the idea that that you know at the end of year three. You need to know which direction you're going with your quarterback. And so, whatever feelings Ryan Poles has right now about the flashes of promise that uh, Justin Fields has, whatever feelings he has about the deficiencies that he showed as a passer and, and, a, and a decision maker, and, and speeding up the clock uh, and having pocket presence, those all have to crystallize here in the next really, you know, nine months as we look at the calendar. And the Bears have to have a very clear cut answer on who they believe Justin Fields is and who they believe. He is going to be because when you make that decision, there are monetary uh, ramifications to that. As, as Jalen Hurts showed, there's a, a, a bank that you're going to have to open up to pay your forever quarterback if that's who you deem him to be. And if you deem him to not be that way, well, now you're going to the 2024 offseason in a very uncertain and uncomfortable place trying to figure out what the new pivot point is. You know, and so you look like when you go down the list of quarterbacks, you know, I, I started with the CBA uh, of 2011, the Cam Newton year where, you know, it was Newton and, and, and Locker and Gabbert and Ponder and went all the way through. And you, you look at where guys are at the end of year three. It's usually pretty telling. The only guy I could find who was kind of a like not really sure about is D- uh, Daniel Jones, uh, to some extent, Blake Bortles, who, who ended up having a really good year uh, in pushing the Jaguars forward. Uh, during his his kind of, you know, I, I don't know if you call it a breakout year as much as just a, 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 his career year, but Daniel Jones is a, w- one of these outliers or a guy who had his fifth year option turned down, you know, got a regime change with Brian Dable and Joe Shane played really well helped the Giants in the playoffs got a surprise road playoff win, and then cashed in this offseason with his own deal. But that's the, the exception more than the rule. And so you better you better have an understanding of, of what this evaluation in 2023 is for Ryan Poles on Justin Fields.
3: That's great research. But Dan, don't you feel like and, and I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth, let me rephrase that. To me, I think that almost the exception is what Justin Fields is closer to uh, being right now than the rule. I, I think it's easier for me to envision the Bears after the third season not being certain that they're going to pay between 40 and $50 million a year to this quarterback. I, I mean, I, I, both things are possible. Everything is possible at this point in time. But I, I just don't know that given where the Bears are as a team, so you're going to tell me a year from now. And maybe this is, this would be a great problem for Kevin Warren, who just took over to, to have with Ryan Poles, is to discuss is Justin Fields worth – a 40 to 45 million dollar a year contract that will have meant the two things you have gotten to the playoffs and he has played at a pro bowl caliber or better level and if those two things come true then there are no qualms with having that conversation because that is the price of playing poker and you are worth what the marketplace dictates and says you are worth but dan realistically Are the Bears close to being a playoff team right now? I don't think so. Justin Fields is closer to playing at that level despite Mm. that the case, but I don't know about that either. So I almost think we're closer to Justin Fields following the path that Daniel Jones has traveled than Jalen Hurts because of the realities with him being a second-round pick and Hurts having to have the decision come quicker. Daniel Jones had to have a prove-it year last year, and he did. And so maybe Justin Fields is looking more at that reality. I don't
1: disagree with anything you just said. Just trying to set the timeline for where um, this thing is likely headed in terms of the importance of the evaluation in this upcoming year to try to figure out which direction you feel like you're going with this quarterback. Because look, we're talking about maybe 54 weeks from now, the Bears have to make a a hard and fast decision on whether to guarantee Justin Fields' fifth-year option which would be for 2025. And that's going to be somewhere in the ballpark when, when the numbers are all sorted out of $25 million for two seasons up the road beyond the the one that he just played. Right. Like, and so, so that is a, a financial decision that is, it's not knocking on Ryan Poles' door just yet, but it's certainly down the hall. You know, and so now you you, you have to, to, to feel like, OK, if we do turn down the fifth year option on a quarterback, it's very rare that that quarterback then suddenly has that emergence and then becomes the guy that gets the second contract with you. I mean, the numbers True. that I that I, I broke down, it was uh, from, from 2011 to 2019 with 28 quarterbacks taken in the first round. Only 10 of them, David, got second contracts with the team that drafted them. That hold is on, like hold on, an eye popping statistic.
3: 28 quarterbacks drafted in the first round since 2011
1: 2011 to 2019
3: okay 20, so that eight-year span and and how nine, many of them, nine drafts nine drafts how many of those quarterbacks got second contracts 10 of 28
1: 10 with 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 Lamar still pending right I think we think wow. he's going to be number 11 yeah okay but but he, he's still pending but that, I mean that, that just tells you that like okay you know <laughs> that's a, a a high miss rate well, on quarterbacks and then then you've got two guys they got quarterbacks with 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 their original team, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, who got kicked out the door pretty quickly after signing those new contracts. The irony of that, of course, is that the Rams and the Eagles went on to pivot to new quarterbacks and win Super Bowls. Right. right? And so, so so that's a weird path <laughs> toward winning a Lombardi Trophy, but it just tells you just how how uncertain this quarterback game is. And I think one of the points that got misconstrued in the um, hysteria and tension of the fall of 2022 that you and I were trying to make consistently is <laughs> there, there is no, we definitely have him, you know, H1M him. Like this is a, a position where it is very rare that you get him. And even sometimes when you think you have him, he goes somewhere, whatever, you know, the point I'm trying to make here, yeah. is it, just, it sets up for what we've been talking about all along is that 2023 has to to some degree, become a defining year in Justin Fields' career,
3: and I think that uh, along with that comes the the reality that he's playing for a contract, but not necessarily that contract. Sure. I don't I don't envision him being a, in a position to get Jalen Hurts like money a year from now, even if he plays you know as well as uh, or well enough for them to commit to him with that kind of. Those kind of financial resources. It's crazy what quarterbacks cost these days, but we all understand the importance of the position, and it's being bared out in this kind of, you know, inflation, if you will. So yeah, he's playing for a second contract, but I just don't know if we can say right now what the size of that second deal will be, And, and it's it's going to be also Dan. I think we always when we talk about what's at stake next year. We have to keep reminding people that the Bears in some ways have protected themselves against the possibility or they have prepared themselves for the possibility that he might not be the guy who deserves or the willing to invest in the second contract because they have two first round draft picks. Because now with after the trading down, that was one of the beauties of that deal is that they yes. gave him two first rounders in twenty twenty four.
1: Well, and that's part of my point is that your other business decisions are uh, hinging on what your evaluation of your current starting quarterback is. And, and look, like we're going to let that evaluation play out. There's going to be 17 weeks a game or 18 weeks a game, 17 Bears will play in and, and they'll, they're going to have to uh, show us who this quarterback is and what they've done to surround him with, with support and talent and, and get us a, a comprehensive evaluation. I'll give you one last little trivia nugget here. There's 28 quarterbacks drafted between and 2011 in 2019. Here are the five that made it to a sixth season, starting with the team that drafted them. Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Ryan Tannehill, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Wow.
3: That's great <laughs> research. Have you published that anywhere yet? Are you going to on ChicagoTribune.com? There's bit, tribune.com?
1: bits and pieces in my, in my okay. column for, for today, and then there's some other nuggets here that will be so sprinkled in as we go.
3: This will be on ChicagoTribune.com for people to find. Correct. Because I, I want that to be clear, and I also want to know where to steal it for the morning show. There you go. So, I mean, And I will definitely attribute you. Um, anytime I can plug the podcast. I, I just think that, it, to, to, to close the loop on this conversation before we move on to draft stuff, I do think that what we talked about it places, you know, an enormous amount of pressure, you could say, on Justin Fields and what's at stake in 2023. But I don't think that he's the kind of guy that, number one, doesn't already put that kind of pressure on himself and he's not the kind of guy that is going to have anything i think change or be affected by the financial realities that exist or surround his performance next season i just think he is wired the right way in that he sure. will he'll hold himself accountable and he's going to play like he's going to play regardless of the potential payoff.
1: Well, one of the things I love about Justin Fields is, uh, to your point, he's not hes not playing for a payday. He's playing to win. He's playing for the guys in the locker room. And one of the things that everyone in House Hall last year sort of praised him for is that connection to the group. You know, that that means something to Justin. This isn't a me sport for him. It's always been, what can I do uh, with guys that i that I enjoy being with to elevate them, to elevate us? And th- that's one of the special qualities that Justin Fields has. Well, now it's got to result in passing production that doesn't leave you with a historically bad passing offense, and it's got to, you know, I mean, honestly, this is where we're at now, and year three, um, you know, is a sink or swim year in a lot of ways uh, to this discussion. But, there, I mean, to your the, the wiring, again, like that box is checked, it's highlighted, there's a Sharpie around it, no, no problems with any of that. And just for the record, I
3: want to note this point in time, at 1616 of this podcast, we did refer to – a a quarterback who had a historically bad passing season potentially earning 50 million dollars a year next season or next year signing
1: or signing that contract or, yeah or or at least yeah. or at least having discussions you yeah. know what a league that's what i'm saying what it, moves, it moves at a breakneck speed sometimes and you better have the the harness on and the seatbelt buckled and and just yeah. be ready to ride the roller coaster
3: life comes at you fast and it will be for a lot of people getting
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: So that transitions us to talking about the draft. And you had a really interesting interview published on chicagotribune.com. Daniel Jeremiah, who is respected as an evaluator, and he had a lot to say about the Bears and what they might do, a lot to say about the draft overall. Where do you want to start? Because I think that you had a really insightful interview with Daniel. yeah the
1: entirety of that conversation can be found at chicagotribune.com we're going to play a couple snippets here and, and one of the things i like about daniel jeremiah is he spent a lot of time in the league as a scout he was in the the, the ravens organization saw ozzie newsome do things at a high level and so he's got insight into how uh, effective team building works and how effective drafts are put together um i, I i've just always enjoyed how direct his insight is how how he goes about the process of putting it together and obviously that that opened up a road for us in a year where the Bears are doing a lot to to pick his brain on what they might do you know and, and so let's talk about the one issue David that, that everyone seems to be intrigued by Jalen Carter available at number nine what do the Bears do well that, that that's one of the the conversation points that we got into with Daniel Jeremiah here is the uh here is that audio clip of, of our exchange there. The, the move puts them in a unique spot on the board to go from one to nine, and they're in this this sort of uh, land where I think a lot of us assume that they'll address one of the fronts, defensive or offensively. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of curiosity in our market as to what happens with uh, Jalen Carter on night one of the draft. If you were Ryan Poles or, or part of that team trying yeah. to put together the most comprehensive evaluation on Carter, um, what questions would you want to make sure you Uh, ask and get answered about Jalen Carter? And and what questions would you want to make sure you get answered by Jalen Carter?
2: Yeah, I think it's, you know, you talk to him, you know, he's obviously going to, you know, you would think he's going to say all the right things. To me, you're going to be spending a lot more time around those that have been around him, including teammates, support staff, coaches, all those things, and trying to compile as complete a profile as you can. Uh, You know, one of the things with him, Obviously, this is the decision-making off the field is a, is a real concern. Um, I would say that when you watch him on the tape, I, I see a guy who appears to be pretty passionate and plays with a lot of effort and really loves football. Um, and just in my personal experience in years past, when guys have that part of it, um, and they know that that can be taken away from them um, that can that can open their eyes a little bit and you can get an improvement on the you know on some of the stuff that's taking place off the field if you've got some off the field issues and football doesn't really matter to them as much and it's just kind of you know it's it's just a means to an end um, that that to me is way way scarier of a process and carries much more risk so that's part
1: of the uh, you know that's part of the homework
2: that you really got to do
1: as part of that homework how do you in a front office, kind of ride the seesaw of sort of that potential regret of, of five years up the road, maybe passing on a talent like Carter versus you know the potential regret a, a, a bunch of teams might have um, you know if they take them and some of the some of the decision making and off the field stuff burns you.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I you know, I go back to my time with Ozzie Newsome and I'm sure Ian will rely on this as well, which is, you know, you can't be scared to, you can't be scared, you know, to be aggressive, but Ozzie always felt like in the first round he he was okay with doubles, he just didn't want misses. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that was a philosophy that served him and that organization well for a very long time so if they can get to the point where they're comfortable and they feel like it's you know they've really minimize the risk there the talent is undeniable I think he's the most talented player in the draft um, but if it's a, if it's a 50-50 deal um, in terms of whether or not you think he's going to be able to toe the line and and, uh, and do what needs to be done on and off the field I, I don't think they would do it
3: That's a very interesting answer. And Dan, what did you take away the most from that? Because I know what I heard.
1: Yeah. uh, um, It it sort of marries up with some of the things that I'm interpreting from the things that Ryan Poles has said. And it's, this isn't a decision on one player. It's a decision on one player amongst a group of guys that are going to be available to you on the menu at number nine. And so you you want to um, increase your odds of getting on base. You know, and so if you have these hesitations and 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 these these worries and these reservations that oh man this could wind up blowing up in our face, well there are other things on the menu that you can choose that will will help you sleep at night and will give you more comfort that you're going to bring in a player to your building and to your roster that's going to help you for years and years on end. Maybe you're sacrificing a little bit in terms of the high end upside, but that 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 certainty in this league means a lot. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway from that exchange. So
3: Ozzie Newsom, who he worked for Ozzy Newsom had the philosophy of in the first round you want to make he'll settle for doubles or settle might not have been the verb he used but he'll he wants doubles and he doesn't want misses and to me if Ian Cunningham if Ryan Poles look at this the same way I think that it will answer the question about about Jalen Carter and I don't even know if it's going to be relevant Point or or a dilemma they face because it might be moot if Mm -hmm. a team like the Seahawks or the Lions take the problem off their hands by drafting Jalen Carter fifth or sixth, which is a very high possibility. But I do think that if I'm sitting there and I'm Ryan Poles at number nine or we're watching this unfold and Jalen Carter's on the board and the Bears are drafted ninth, I'm remembering that. And I'm thinking of that because I've said that before myself. I don't think this is a draft where Ryan Poles can afford – To swing and miss, and you've got to connect. And to use the baseball analogy, I don't know that it can be home run or strikeout. I think you, if you feel like it's a double, take the double. And I think an offensive tackle would be doubling in the gap.
1: Yeah, no question. And just to further this baseball analogy, I know I've been teasing this for a number of weeks, but right now, Thursday morning is the scheduled launch time for the uh, Bears batting average project that Brad Biggs and I have put together since the Jerry Angelo regime started back in 2002. 200, or 21 drafts and 159 draft picks that we went through and assessed. Uh, called them either a hit, an extra base hit, a, a, a miss, a, a, a whiff. You know, there's been plenty of whiffs, David. You, you, you've you smelled some of those whiffs that they've had at the plate and a handful of guys that we just couldn't come to a decision on that are still uh, playing for the, the Bears in a rookie contract. So look for that This week, because that's going to give us some more fodder to talk about uh, as we go forward.
3: I love that. I love that project. So I think that's the mindset when it comes to Jalen Carter. I understand and would respect that. What else did you get to with Daniel Jeremiah? All right.
1: So we'll flip to the other line, you know, because we've talked about the other line and the offensive tackle decision that might be facing the Bears. Say they've got the decision at nine with all three tackles on the board. Maybe it's Paris Johnson, Peter Skronsky and Broderick Jones. uh, They're waiting for them. Had a chance to ask Daniel Jeremiah which way he would lean there and then also get into uh, a little bit more about Maine South High School alum and Northwestern star, Peter Skaronsky. Here's that exchange. You mentioned addressing the front and front adjustment is going to be important, and their offensive line still needs to be upgraded. If you were hell-bent on getting a tackle before Friday night ends. Who of the, the, the trio up top, the Skaransky-Johnson-Jones trio, would you want most? And if you waited until Friday night, who might be appealing in that 53-64 that to, to 64 range where they've got a few picks?
2: Yeah, for me it's Skoroski. Even though you know there's a chance he ends up moving inside, playing guard. Uh, I think he's the best football player. Um, so that would be the direction that I would go, and just allows you to get your best five on the field because I think he could probably play any of the five positions. To be honest, um, so that would be the the way I would go there at nine if you're if you're staring at all of them. If you're looking at what's going to be there at 53, um, tackle wise, I think it kind of falls off. You know, after after right paris johnson broderick jones i think there's a pretty steep drop off um and you know I, to be honest i don't love the options that you're going to be you know facing there you're looking at dewan jones jalen duncan um you know I, I don't really love either player there's a lot of ability there um but those are uh, those are probably those top two guys i like bergeron a lot yeah. from, from syracuse uh, would, that would be of those guys I would say Bergeron would be the one I would prefer although he's similar to, uh, to Skoronsky, in that a lot of teams have him as a guard
1: so what would be your reservations with, with using a top 10 pick on a guy who, in Skoronsky whose position you might not know yet
2: Well, I think there's a difference between not thinking a guy can play tackle versus thinking the guy's going to be a better guard. I think he can be a good tackle. Like a, A good example of that would be somebody like Zach Martin. Zach Martin could have played tackle in the NFL and been a good tackle, and he's had to at times. Zach Martin's going to go to the Hall of Fame as a guard. Uh, but, but, you know we saw with Elijah Barrett Tucker when he came out a few years ago he you know he could play right tackle and that he did last year when when called upon and did really well um uh, but he's got a chance to be a much more dominant guard so with Skaronsky in in you know to say that he's not a tackle is not I wouldn't say that's accurate I would just say he's he's even a better
3: guard that's interesting that's interesting because you can get a variety of of opinions and a range of guy of of orders or rankings about those three tackles at the top considered to be at the top of the draft Scronsky Paris Johnson Jr. and Broderick Jones talked to somebody this morning who felt like you know Paris Johnson was being uh, slightly overrated now and <laughs> and and I I I don't I'm not in a position to disagree with someone's assessment because it's their evaluation they're a professional they do this for a living so. You know, you, it just gives you pause that there and, and reminds you there are no perfect prospects. But I do sense some momentum in talking, if you if you can call it that, but some momentum among evaluators with Peter Skronsky.
1: Yeah, what if they the Bears chose Skronsky and thought that he could be their left guard? You know, and then all of a sudden had had, had Nate Davis and Cody Whitehair and, and Peter Skronsky inside, and you, you you have trust in. In uh, in Braxton Jones out on the left side, and then you just figure out what your options are. Right, um, certainly out there. I, I like there is like I, I was happy that, that that Daniel Jeremiah kind of put that frame around things and saying that there's not really these doubts that he could be a a good tackle in the NFL. It's more, where can he be at his best? Because that's a big difference in saying, well, his arms are too short. He's never going to, he's never going to make it in the league as a tackle. That doesn't seem to be what anyone in the league is saying. It's just, okay, where's the, where's the best fit for him with what we're trying to accomplish. That's a whole different discussion point. And that's one, obviously the bears have to have it in Lake forest.
3: And I think that when you start to hear people project him as the, the best football player, then you start to wonder if, uh, people are making too much out of you know the arm length issue, and even though it is something that is you know charted and measured, and you can look around the league and not find guys with his specifications, I do wonder if sometimes. And we overthink this, and it's overanalyzed. And, and, and the, the intangibles might outweigh the limitations in this case.
1: To that point, this is another thing that, that I think is worth emphasizing, particularly at this point in the pre-draft process, is if, if arm length is the first thing that comes up in your draft room discussion of Peter Skoransky, you're doing things wrong. But if you're discounting it all together, you're not doing the evaluation complete enough because you can, you can start with four or five of Peter Skaransky's greatest strengths and say this is why he would be a perfect fit inside our building and a long-term difference maker on our offensive line. But you do also have to acknowledge the flaws and the deficiencies and say, hey, let's talk through these and figure out what does he have that will help him compensate for said deficiency. And then that just furthers the discussion. One of the guys in my career that, that I, it's hilarious to look back on now uh, is Harrison Smith he drafted he, the, the Vikings had a, a two first round picks the year that Harrison Smith was picked and they took him and there were some questions oh man he's too slow he's never going to be able to play in the NFL you look at his athletic measurables and they're just not there and the Vikings decided inside their front office that look like that 40 speed we can we can make up for 0.35 seconds on a 40 time by a guy who sees what's coming and cheats two yards over to the left before the play starts to make up for that ground for a guy who has a feel for how a receiver runs his route, for a guy who has instincts to make plays. And Harrison Smith's like a a seven-time Pro Bowl safety at this point because the Vikings, you know, had the discussions internally and said, yes, there's some athletic deficiencies here, but there's a lot more that he'll overcome. Similar discussions should be being had about Peter Skaranski. It's a great point.
3: It's a great comparison because it's really impossible to know just what being a better football player or being a complete football player with all of the instincts that come with that description and with all of the experience that he's had at Northwestern against Big Ten defensive linemen, that can't be discounted. And frankly, if the Bears choose him over the other two at number nine and take the first offensive lineman off the board, which is a very good possibility, Dan, then that will be exactly, we'll remember this conversation because they will have leaned into that more than anything else, they will have drafted him because of that or maybe in spite of the other things that people want to consider limitations. They don't consider limitations at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's going to be interesting because I haven't heard anybody in league circles say that, oh boy, you know, be careful with Peter Skoransky, stay away. It's just like, look, there are things. He's not the perfect prospect. And so if you're not perfect, let's have the discussions about the limitations and figure out where we get to as, a, as an organization and as a staff. That's the way the draft process should work. Okay. Final clip for me. Uh, from Daniel Jeremiah is just some big picture stuff because we know that Ryan Pulse has got a lot on his plate and as we've talked about on this this podcast it's easy to get fixated on what they're going to do at number nine and think that's the entire draft well Ryan's (laughs) got to put together a full draft class in 2023 he's got to back it up in 2024 with another solid draft class there's a lot of work out of him to get this roster and this depth chart where it needs to be to be championship contender and so I just kind of picked Daniel Jeremiah's brain on kind of how he would uh, do things inside House Hall if he were in Ryan's chair and kind of some of the the vision he would have to use, here's that. Mock draft season. It's easy to get fixated on the the headliners of everybody's draft class and see it as a as a one pick draft, right? For forever, um, with the Bears, knowing knowing where their roster is and where it needs to go, and, and understanding that Ryan's got the chance now to add ten, maybe twelve players to the roster, depending on how he moves on on draft weekend. What are the the one or two boxes you think absolutely, positively must be checked when draft weekend ends for them?
2: I just think it, it, to me, it's all the offensive line. Uh, I just go back to this kind of being the year of fields you know sink or swim uh, you know know exactly what you have with him uh that's why to me if you told me that they had the 32nd ranked defense in the league next year but that they knew whether or not fields was the guy and uh and had that that answer i think it'd be a successful year so I, to me it'd be uh, you know i know you got defensive head coach but this should be an offensive heavy draft, in my opinion, even though the defense is where it is. I, I want to give him every every opportunity to be successful and to give yourself every opportunity to evaluate him as you go into a year next year where you've got some extra picks. Um, and it, it looks, at least ahead of time, like it's a good quarterback year. I think that they have to know what they have in
1: fields by the end of next year. So so to that point, we've kind of sold it here as uh, they, they need to set up the no-excuses tour for Justin in 2023. Yes,
2: that's a good way to put it. I might steal
1: that. Yeah we're gonna have 17 dates you know and, and for maybe from uh, la to, to munich potentially when the schedule comes out of all the places that they're going to play but yeah. but as you, as you kind of assess him this this upcoming year what do you need to see in 2023 and what are the steps that he needs to make um for you in, the, in a front office to feel comfortable staying down that path beyond this year yeah and in simplest form i just want to
2: see a major in his arm and minor in his legs you know and and to no, you know you could arguably say to no fault of his own that's what they've had to do uh, because of what's in front of him and who he had on the outside he didn't have much choice so to me i want to see him you know show improvement win from the pocket uh you know be a more consistent passer be more accurate uh, you know all those things and i just don't think we've had a chance to to fairly evaluate him in that in that world. So that, to me, is the improvement that I want to see. I want to see the legs be more of a in case of emergency break glass option as opposed to being the number one uh, option.
3: Daniel Jeremiah, very good there. If he is going to steal our No Excuses yeah. Tour for 2023, I'm going to steal his major in his arm, minor <laughs> in his legs. Because I love that characterization about what Justin Fields needs to do not only to be effective in 2023, but to stay on the field, because that's key to what the Bears are going to do next year is him not only being dangerous, but staying healthy.
1: First of all, we need the massive legal team that we have at the Take the North podcast to go out and get the no excuses to our trademark today. Yes. That That's has to be trademarked right. by sundown, so that we're not dealing with any of these uh, stolen stolen ideas. And, and, and you know, obviously, intellectual property is very valuable these days, particularly in the NFL. So let's get that taken care of. But I hope that Daniel Jeremiah opens up his social media replies. Uh, to the same sort of vitriol that you and I got in the fall for saying the exact same thing and, and, and then, and then just getting cannon blasted for, for two and a half months. And then everybody else in the league says it after the season's over and everyone goes, Oh yeah, it makes oh, sense. Yeah, oh yeah, man. That makes sense. That's, that's perfect
3: sense. Justin Fields needs to be more of a passer, less of a runner in 2023 because what they complete. I don't know. That's <laughs> okay. We can take, we will be the front line. We'll take the, we'll, we'll take the abuse and then everyone else can benefit later.
1: But yeah. And then one of the other things he said later in the conversation, just kind of echoing what he said in that clip is just this idea that right now, because of the stage you're at with Justin Fields, like, bulking up on offense with talent and depth and, and fortified offensive line groups, et cetera, is, is the path that he would go down. We don't know if that's the path Ryan and, and Ian will decide to go down in a week from now. Um, But it's an interesting path to consider. And it's certainly one that like in, in, in Jeremiah's opinion, it's, it's like you try to get Justin established at a certain level. And once you've established him, once he's cleared a couple more stages and leveled up, well, now you can kind of say, okay, we've got enough talent in our quarterback to go be very productive with lesser tiered playmakers because our quarterback is so good. You know, there's nobody uh, that, that, that argues that that Kansas city screwed up by getting rid of Tyree kill. <laughs> they went out and win the super bowl. The first year right. they didn't have them. Yep. And so hopefully, you know, that's an extreme example in, in multiple ways, but, but you know, that, that's kind of the idea here that as your quarterback gets better Well, now all of a sudden he doesn't need as much help around him. And then you can start to kind of use those resources in other directions.
3: Good stuff. That was a very comprehensive interview with Daniel Jeremiah. It's also on ChicagoTribune.com, as you said.
4: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes.
5: To support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com odyssey podcast
3: okay so before we wrap up dan i did want to give a little bit more credence to the Rumor innuendo that I uh, advanced not only on this podcast, but on television, on the reporters on Sunday morning. There actually now is an actual report. Peter King reported, Peter King, pretty reputable reporter nationally, um, that the Steelers and the Bears are potential trade partners. The Steelers at number 17, moving up to number nine for the Bears, if if Jalen Carter is on the board. What do you think of that?
1: Well, number one, I'm still thrown by it. Number two, I'm amazed at how personally you took the uh, the, the laughing. That wasn't directed at you. It was it, my, my laughter a week ago was directed at the pre-draft process, and and really in a big picture way, how how quickly we can pollute the information supply into a, a way where everybody just goes and, and talks about things like their gospel. If I'm not, I, I don't have the Peter King stuff in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, he wrote it as the, the, the best rumor that I'm uh, that I'm hearing or something like that. He might've, he's, he might've, yeah. He's still acknowledging it as he a could, rumor. Yeah. My, yeah. my biggest question on all this, I'm not saying that, that it's got no validity. I'm not saying that it has a ton of validity. What I'm trying to figure out is in, in what world would it serve the Steelers to allow this to leak out for them? Um, because now you're alerting, you know, seven teams in between you and the Bears that hey, we love Jalen Carter enough to go up and get him. And if you like him, you know, go get your offers into Hallis Hall. And so that's where, you know, maybe this is coming from Hallis Hall. Maybe they are are leaking this with yeah. with, with a hope that Jalen Carter slips, with a decision made internally that they don't want to take him, and with an idea that hey, we can we can bamboozle someone into coming up here into number nine, and then adding to our draft capital, and then we'll go do. Uh, David Haas solid and draft Bijan Robinson (laughs) and then add add another pick somewhere else and add our offensive tackle at, you know, 32, 34, wherever it may be. So we'll see where it goes.
3: Oh, that would be fun. That would be so much fun. Okay. Last thing. I just remembered one more uh, thing I wanted to get your reaction to and information and insight on, please explain to me the purpose of signing Dante Pettis.
1: I mean, look, I talked about this with Big on the phone. Yesterday, Dante Pettis is a guy that can cut. You're going to go to training camp with 12 receivers. <laughs> you know, you, you got to get 12 receivers. Dante Pettis is a guy here that they they believe in as a guy who can catch punts. If Valence Jones doesn't work out, he's a guy that can run routes reliably. He's not a difference-making guy. He's a placeholder. Equinemius St. Brown is a placeholder until they can find better talent to replace those guys. Those guys may be replaced as early as, you know, August 4th, for all we know. But, but you do need to have guys in your building that can – can kind of keep the off season humming along, guys that Justin can get work with, you know, as they go forward. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't read that as any sort of landmark signing and or guarantee that Dante Pettis will even be on the team in week one. It's just a, a way to fill out the roster with somebody who's familiar and a guy that can help you in multiple facets because again we saw that Vayless Jones's inability to catch a punt last year uh was problematic. And so they had a pivot and and, and that was an option that, that they he, he, he can't
3: let that happen again. He can't be that bad again. He's had an entire off season to acclimate to the Chicago conditions and elements. I hope he's outside every day, catching a hundred punts in the blustery winds and the winter conditions of April in Chicago, because you know what he needs it. And you cannot, you cannot draft somebody in the third round and then just give up on him after one year. You've got, to, he's almost like a symbol of your credibility and it, you know, you, you want him to yes. succeed. So he's got to be, Given every opportunity to do that, Dante Pettis. Yeah, he may just be a guy for training camp. When I saw him being brought back, it did kind of bring back, like, oh, geez, why?
4: I mean,
1: I'll say this just being in that locker room. Pettis is a is a, a good dude in that locker room. He's well liked. I I know like why it draws the eye rolls because his productivity last year was 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 questionable. Um but there's there's no risk in it. And and again, you're gonna have to go play three preseason games with somebody in August. You know, somebody's gotta go out there and, and was, run around and catch passes.
3: Was Bigsy more eye roll or shrug?
1: Shrug. He, shrug. He's, he's on team shrug. That's where okay. we're at. That's just what happens. all right. That's good. Um, it's April. So, Um, I have one last question here and you can tell me where you want to take this. But my question for you is I'm wondering where your camera crew was meeting you in the parking garage before sunrise this week and following you up to your, uh, your your day job at the score, because you get to work a lot earlier than Kevin Warren gets to work. And I think that should be noted. Kevin Warren's first day on the job was Monday. And I know that you were already on the air by the time he turned off his engine and closed the door. So, you know, if we're keeping score here, David one, Kevin zero.
3: ChicagoBears.com, God bless you. But to, to to videotape a guy getting to work at quarter to six, I'm looking at my watch if you're getting there quarter to six and say, where you been? Because, you know, you're not going to impress the morning show by getting to work when it's dark. Now, I did not, Dan. I did not pause at the statue for Mitch Rosen before <laughs> I got to the studio like Kevin Warren paused at the statue of George Hallis. But tomorrow I will make sure that I do so.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, just wanted to, to make that known. I know I was still asleep when you both got to work, but it's like, like, again, I'm, I'm trying to, to be a good teammate and give you uh, points on the scoreboard where points are deserved.
3: Well, you know what, if I have the meeting, if I ever get the meeting in the audience with Kevin Warren and he asks me what I would think about uh, the Bears and how Hall and in the work condition, I would say everybody needs to get to work at least an hour earlier.
1: Okay. That's perfect. Yeah. And then we'll set a standard and then then we'll see who can meet it and who wants to just fall by the wayside. Like, uh, you know, like the the, the roadkill that you see on the shoulder at 294.
3: Let me tell you, it takes a lot. You learn a lot about yourself and a lot of people when they get up at three 30 in the morning. Now you don't always like what you learn, but you do learn a lot.
1: I've learned that I panic in the three (laughs) hours leading up to 3.30 and wake up like four times worried that my alarm's not going to go off, so we don't want to do that video the next time I co-host.
3: Welcome to my life. Okay, great. Good stuff. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to drop another episode of the Take the North podcast. There's a lot going on. We'll be maybe doing an extra episode or two next week to figure out, depending on what happens, there's going to be a lot of conversation, maybe a lot of movement. We'll wait and see. But yeah, thank you um, for joining us today on the Take the North podcast for Tyler Butabaugh, who is filling in for Adam Stadzinski and Dan Weederer on Chicagotribune.com. You can check out his bears coverage. I am David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show. You can find the Take the North podcast on the Free Odyssey app. You can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you Friday.
1: Great talk.
2: See you out there.